0: what is happening this feels like everything but like i'm not doing anything i went back to his office and his name is dallas willard he's now passed away um and i was like dallas like this is what's happening in my coffee shop uh what is going on is this everything or is this like am i making this up and he looked at me and he said this is everything to be with and for each other as we are, where we are, is everything. And we organize our lives to death to avoid this because it requires that we slow down and risk being known.
1: Yo, Ryan Hartley here, host of the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. Welcome back to the interview sessions where I put my curious questions to inspiring people. If this is the first time that you have pushed play on our podcast, welcome to your like-hearted community. We are a community of human beings who span 114 countries around the world. We're united in this belief that when we get better, everything around us gets better. And the heart of that ripple effect and transformation is love. One of the things that love does is it creates a space and a place of belonging. And I am really excited to bring to you today's guest on episode 145, Cat Moore. Cat is the Director of Belonging at the University of South California. It is an amazing title that brings to life so much imagery in my mind around what it means to lead and create cultures of belonging. We have an amazing conversation about her story, how she came to uh, finding or creating belonging, but not in the way that you'd imagine through uh, education, but by application. These interview sessions are brought to you by our great friends at Web Creation. Head to webcreationgroup.com for stunning websites at sensible prices and if you have not found your like-hearted tribe your like-hearted community and you're not part of our we are always better than yesterday community push pause at any point throughout this interview um, and come and join us on facebook we are a community of 700 like-hearted human beings small around the world and it'd be our honor and privilege to have you come and grow with us we simply ask you come as you are and hopefully leave a little bit better. That's enough from me. Here we go, episode 145 with Kat Moore. Please do share with, with someone whose heart, whose mind you wish to expand and inspire. Cat, welcome to the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. How are you, my friend?
0: I'm doing so well thanks so much for having me Ryan I'm super excited
1: it's so cool I'd love to say like this is not just an interview about having a cool title because it's so much more than that but you do have a really cool title I want to get that out on the table at the very start and then I want to hear more about you I want to hear more about your story so what do you do in the world?
0: Oh, Lord. So many things. Um, I'm only guessing that by my cool title, you're referring to the one that's called the director of belonging. Is this what we're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. What a title that is.
0: Um, yeah. Crazy story how that came about. But I personally think an even cooler title that I have is mom. Yeah. Um, so that's that's <laughs> how I'm in the world is fundamentally as a mom. Um And I think that actually all of my work comes out of um, that experience of identifying myself in a dyad. Mm. Um, Because I think so many of the problems we experience with loneliness and disconnection have to do with individualism gone wrong Mm. Um, and really taking the individual person as the fundamental unit of society. And I'm like, nah, Did you birth yourself? I don't think so. You came into the world tied to another human being. And so I actually like to um, talk about how all of my methodology and things for helping people create belonging in their lives is really rooted in the experience of knowing your interdependence as a human being. And I experienced that most profoundly through motherhood
1: so powerful isn't it because you know there's we, we live in a g- generation of self-ease and self-love and self-self-self and um, that's really powerful I, I, I too shared a similar experience you know I became a leader at the same time as I became a parent and I grew up in the policing world that was trying to teach me that leadership was about rank and hierarchy and status and you know becoming a parent is so transformational isn't it I just I've heard you describe it, that you, you've you learned your studies in the trenches. What does that really mean?
0: Yeah, you know, so I have this fancy degree from USC in philosophy, where I also tried to study my way out of the experience of loneliness mm-hmm. academically. Mm. And guess what? Plato was not very helpful. <laughs> um, poor guy. Uh, because that's all head knowledge. Right. And what we're after is an experience as a whole person in life of living connected, not just knowing the six hacks for how you're supposed to do it. Mm. Um, And so, uh, you know, I studied it and I got good grades, but that didn't translate into my ability to Mm. experience it. Right. And so it wasn't until I became a mom, uh, like I said, and sat my butt in a strip mall, Starbucks for several years Um, That I began to actually, in these very small moments of time, um, over a long period of time, become comfortable with letting someone sit down across the table from me, listening to them, caring about them, finding myself to be curious about them. Um, And it was that organic process process of being present in a place with a very simple organic process of caring Mm. um, that I began to realize not only am I capable of connecting, uh, but I'm capable of creating a sense of immediate belonging for this whole wild array of human beings, none of which I would probably pick out in a police lineup as my people, right? <laughs> or like my, my tribe or something like that. And so I um, then discovered through that experience, um, really my life calling, to help other people be able to create this, wherever they are, whoever they are, mm. um, this kind of connected life. Um, and I did it by um, living out of it, right? So I wasn't some researcher dropped into a coffee shop uh, on a mission, I mm. this was my life. These were my friends and they helped to save my life when my life exploded. And um, so everything I really have to offer is, much more in the vein of practical wisdom yeah. um and really helping people see themselves as having that themselves we all have stories and experiences and things we've learned um and continuing to help people not turn me or anyone else into a guru mm-hmm. but really being able to realize no i'm wired to know how to do this and it was only going to come by them living in the trenches of their own so that's that's how um I know whatever it is I know that's of any value.
1: I've lived it. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you talked about calling and I think, you know, my experience of helping people with their calling, it's, there's, there's two common paths. There's one is the passion. You love helping people with something. And the other one is pain and helping other people avoid the pain with which we've once experienced. How would you describe your pathway to your calling? Uh,
0: I've, I guess, you know, I spent the first two decades of my life chronically lonely, Mm. Um, but I, and so I feel like my whole life was, was organized to make that stop, Mm. but I didn't have uh, an awareness or an intentionality about doing that. It was like this really elemental drive somewhere deep in my brainstem that <laughs> was like your life can't start until you have some kind of you know foundation uh, or matrix of, of being connected. So I, my whole life was organized probably to, you know, write that foundation. Uh, and then once I had the opportunity to actually experience what I had been needing and looking for my whole life, um, I think at that point it became a passion. And it wasn't a passion just to stop other people's pain. It was a passion to help them realize how much is possible.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. And as, as I understand it, you were in, in Los Angeles at the time and you think there's, there's millions and millions of people. How could you possibly be lonely in, 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 a, in a city full of millions of angels? And how would you describe loneliness?
0: Uh, the worst thing ever. It's, it's literally the worst experience I think people can have, which, Mm. um, is quite a statement because I know that there are just horrific human rights violations and we probably don't need to be ranking these things. But, um, I feel like with loneliness, there's, there's so much, you know, research and things like this that have been coming out over the last five and 10 years, but I still think it fits in most people's minds as like a Royal bummer. Like, Mm. man, I'm just like bummed I'm lonely. Right. Um, But the fact is loneliness uh, increases your mortality rate by 29%. Fact is the experience of loneliness lights up the same area of your brain as physical pain. Mm. Right. And so I like to use extreme language to help us get shocked out of how we're um, Mm sidelining it often with action and not funding, you know, interventions and stuff by saying, no, no, it's like more like dismemberment. You've literally, you're experiencing being dismembered from society. Mm. That should shock you. It is more like exile, which is the worst punishment that they could even come up with in the ancient world because they knew that people couldn't survive outside, no. of, a, um, outside of their village and um, social networks. So uh, it's the worst thing ever. I mean, the the textbook definition is a perceived sense that the quality of relationships you need isn't there. Mm. And I'm like, that's nice. No lonely person is saying that. Um, So there's this this big difference between people who work on these issues and how they talk about the experience and how people experience it, are talking about it. And most of the time people experiencing loneliness aren't even aware they're lonely. They don't have the language. They don't have the concepts. Um, and if they even did, they where what spaces are there to talk about
1: mm. it?
0: Right? Even amongst friends, it's not something that's often uh, talked about.
1: And then when you add that to the self-focused generation, I guess what that means is that we think then the problem is one of self. There must be some oh. f- kind of flaw about me. There must be something wrong with me rather than this bigger community that is missing you're
0: smart you're smart i like you (laughs) (laughs) i'd like you even if you weren't smart but that's like super perceptive perceptive i've been like thinking about that a lot because you know as all of these suggested best practices come out and things like this um i think that there's a real danger in privatizing the problem and uh because people who are feeling lonely guess what they all already think that there's something wrong with them Mm. and that's why they're feeling it even if they haven't articulated that to themselves most of the time unless it's some kind of loneliness that's just purely circumstantial like you've changed cities or you've changed you know to a new life stage um but most people are walking around feeling like oh my god there's something wrong with me like existentially Mm -hmm, right And so then if we're like giving them assets and resources that are like reinforcing that there's just more stuff they should do that essentially is often like assuming they're extroverted, assuming they've already got a certain set of personal tools and opportunities in their context. um, It really, really bothers me because it's like putting an extra burden on someone who needs to be unburdened. Um, And really what needs to happen is what do people need in that state? If you're lonely, you need connection you don't need a pamphlet. Mm. Um, and so where are the bodies? Where are the bodies who are willing to show up with mm. their time and their energy and their eye contact and their non-judgmentalism and actually give a crap? Um, because I'm, re- I'm like not real happy with all the pamphleting that's going on.
1: And you, um, you just said non-judgmental. Like, you know, I've been around the kind of uh, the the kind of parenting circles, and the, you know, there's a lot of um, self-conscious thought that goes in. am oh, my parenting well enough? Is it good enough? What are they thinking of me? I've not really, you know, I, what do I look like? If I, like, how do you how do you create the bridge of humanity in those Starbucks? what did you learn? What was, I, I know that you've got your own model now and, and things like that, but what were some of the basics that you really stumbled across um, in your time?
0: That helps people be non-judgmental?
1: Or, or bridges that connection and, and um, with other human beings?
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, the there's like... I kind of try to think about it in two ways. One are like, what are the tactics you're employing? Like, what are the behaviors you're doing that do that, that that create that possibility? And then what are the internal attitudes and dispositions that do it, right? Because I could go up to 50 people in Starbucks and make eye contact. But if I'm thinking like, I don't care about you, you're in my way, Mm. um, that's not gonna work, right? Or if I'm sitting there thinking, Oh, I love all the all the world and all the lonely people, but I never actually look at anyone or mm. say anything to mm. them, right? So these two things go together. So the really basic idea is to be present mm. somewhere in public or somewhere where there are humans. Like, mm. I mean, it seems so basic, but the amount of times that we're, uh, you know, secluded um, and aren't putting ourselves in what we can think of as high connectivity spaces. Um, you know, uh, is shocking. So, you know, start paying attention to the places that you already are. You're already at the market. You're already at the bank. You're already on zoom. You're, you know, why are we jumping over those people and those contexts to get to somewhat imaginary tribe of people mm-hmm. that are disembodied floating around somewhere. So we have to be like real, real about where we're already at and start there. And then it really is, um, the super basic ideas of looking at people, initial conversations that, um, are at an appropriate level, talking about things that are in the shared space or shared, mm. um, environment and actually asking questions that demonstrate you want to get to know someone, mm. you know, those are the, ba- the basics of creating space, asking questions, listening, and being willing to share as well. And from there, it's really a, a, an improv art form. Um, there's, I get questions all the time, like, well, how do I get it to like deepen? And like, you know, and I'm like, well, you just increasingly share more of your story, more of who you are, and you take these mini trust bids, right? You don't walk up to someone and tell them your whole medical history, um, or I don't recommend that, <laughs> but you know, you you share a little bit, you see if they engage. Yeah. Next time we share a little bit more. So it's the, but we often aren't taught these things, and so we can get real blocked. Mm. The positive things to do aren't rocket science. Mm. What's the, what's the more so the problem are all the internal anxieties and fears that we have mm. that are the weeds that are cutting us off from doing these basic things.
1: Love that. There's a there's an Indian guru called Sadguru um and i'm reading his book karma at the moment and in it he said this one thing that kind of just blew my little mind which was that the human state of striving can sometimes leave us in the state of a mirage like it's not that it isn't there and that it will always be in the horizon and you know i think that's such a call to action to gratitude in the moment isn't it being present and and seeing i think it links to kind of what you just said in terms of don't look beyond what's already there with you
0: Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and if you look at it long enough and from the right angle and open yourself to to what it is in and of itself, you know, without its usefulness per se to you. um, I mean, how many of our poets in general have affirmed that all of the world can be found in a grain of sand? Hmm. You know, if we slow down, what's required to do that? We slow down, we attend to the thing, we behold its context and its purpose outside of us. You know, And then that, that combination of things over time uh, moves us to in- internally care because mm. um, we can't really care about the things that we haven't slowed down to pay attention to and beheld in and themselves, mm. right? Everyone walking past us was somebody's baby. Every one of them has a backstory, has dreams um, beyond who they voted for or beyond who they do or don't worship, right? Like mm. So um, being able to form a practice of internally doing that can blow open our sense of what's possible in even the most boring context we find ourselves, because guess what, this should not have happened to me in a crappy strip mall Starbucks in Los Angeles. Mm. So to me, it's like if something can happen transformatively there, and not just for me, but for you know hundreds and thousands of other people who are very mm. different from me, Um, it really has to do with how are we showing up for each other Mm. and who are we willing to be for each other.
1: I'm going to ask a curious question because it's on my mind and I can't let it go is how do you take your coffee?
0: You're assuming I drink coffee.
1: I am assuming you're right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm I'm not just saying this because uh, this is a UK podcast, but I do English breakfast tea with honey and milk.
1: Wow. Okay. Honey as well honey wow okay cool that's good to know i owe you one Mm -hmm. so i get your heart for belonging i get your heart for eradicating loneliness but how does one become a director of belonging (laughs)
0: um i don't know uh i don't know (laughs) if there i don't know if there are any other ones uh Mm. so the way it happened for me, and which I don't recommend to anyone else because it's uh, it's quite a journey, uh, other than if you consider yourself as a director of belonging in your own life, then I'm prepared to have everyone see themselves that way. Mm. Uh, but in terms of it being a role at a fancy institution, uh, I'm an alumni of USC and had zero friends while I was there for the most part till the very, very end. Um, and I, but I stayed connected with a couple of the professors and a couple of folks who still work there. And, uh, about five years ago, the university started having a loneliness crisis
1: mm-hmm. and they
0: just weren't equipped to handle it because what do you do? Send 40,000 kids to the counseling center. Um, it was a problem with them not finding, uh, meaningful friendships and community quickly enough. Mm-hmm. And so there weren't people who were stewarding that kind of knowledge yeah. at that time. Um, there weren't really loneliness experts uh, who were specializing in innovation uh, around yeah. these things. And so they knew of the work that I was doing in the coffee shop, the work meaning my life, uh, <laughs> that I was living in the coffee shop and how ridiculous it had become it was spilling out of the cafe and turning into all these you know, um, family-like relationships. And so they approached me and were like, whatever you're doing here, is that something that can be translated uh, into another context? And I'm like, do you got people? Because <laughs> this is a people thing. So I'm sure there are some, there's always right contextual differences, but the universal need is the same. Um, and often this the sets of weeds or problems that prevent us from connecting um, are, are, there's not an infinite number. There's a pretty small subset of them that just wear different clothes. And so anyway, um, they're like, okay, well, we're not gonna make it worse by trying. So they were like, kind of gave me carte blanche. I'm very, very grateful that there were um, very um, Mm open-minded innovators on the inside of the departments that were shouldering a lot of the crisis. Um, And so, We just started where it was easiest to start which was they already had a mindfulness platform of non-credit courses and so they're like can you create some kind of five-week workshop that helps people unpack their social experience together and just get talking right because the biggest problem is when we don't talk about it and it remains in the dark and gets super loud in our own heads Mm. and so i'm like yeah sure that's like just a bigger coffee table uh, so you know, I created this course, and then I'm like, "Well, where the heck do I start?" I had lived it, but I had never tried to teach it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and so I—that's how I developed this acronym CLICK, because we needed a catchy five-week thing. And I'm like, "There's got to be something. It's not sacred, but it should be pretty uh, intuitive when you look at it." I'm not, cr- you know, creating something ex nihilo. This is just connecting as you are, where you are listening first, and that's both to your experience and to the person in front of you, Um, investigating without judgment, communicating kindness and keeping in touch such that if you remove any one of those elements, it's like stuff falls apart or it doesn't really get off the the starting blocks. Um, And so I just structured some experiences around that with the main goal of alerting these humans, these precious humans to the fact that they're already wired for this, there's nothing wrong with them. In fact, they, they're they actually a gift to everyone they're around, just with their own presence and who they are. Uh, and then you're just getting them talking about their experiences. And um, it's a lot more just facilitation, honestly. So then out of that grew a million other kinds of experiments there. And they um, were like, hey, uh, what do you want your title to be? And I was aware that in the UK, you guys are like ahead of the curve with, you know, organizing around this stuff. And I knew there was a minister of loneliness and I love the fact that there's funding and attention going to that. But I'm like, no, I don't want people keep to keep saying loneliness every time that Mm -hmm. they think about this, because loneliness is the obvious sane reaction to not having belonging, right? It's like focusing on hunger rather than like on providing food sources, Mm-hmm. So um, I asked to be director of belonging and they're like haha that's funny like that and cool or wait are you serious? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like yeah why not yeah why not And um, I thought it was like hysterical to me it was hysterical to call it a director position right because in university settings people like assume all kinds of what, things about what that means right mm. and it's ironic because everything that I actually do is to undermine my own ability to direct Jack squat uh, (laughs) and to, you know, so cut cut the guru thing and just put the responsibility and opportunity onto people to be able to be the authors of their own experience. Um, And so it's kind of, that's how it emerged. And um, I think it was very helpful just as a placeholder a conversation starter um so that other universities for example are like oh whoa they have a what why don't we have one of those we have loneliness Mm -hmm. too so it's been a um a good launch pad to get to have some of these um more rogue kind of kind of conversations around the topics
1: i love that and uh, i'm glad that you mentioned um the uh that's completely got my head but yeah, the, the title and, and the responsibility of having it in the right places because it can be quite easy to say, oh, that's just cats thing. You know, cats dealing with a loneliness thing. And, and uh, I guess, how have you then tried to help leaders of leaders? How have you helped to try to create, you know, um, a culture, shall we say, of belonging?
0: Yeah, right. It's like a whole systemic thing that has mm. to change, right? So my approach is like, all the things need to change right, towards <laughs> orienting towards this kind of bottom line, uh, mm-hmm. or rather this is a foundation. Like there can be no economy, for example, if there are not humans who are connected to each other. So this is a truly a foundation for the rest of what's possible in society on, on any in any industry. Um, and so everything needs to change, but there is no utopia that we're working with. So you can't just say, well, start with the leaders. Like, well, a lot of the leaders are a lot of the problem. So what you have to do is start with whoever's willing. So I start with whoever's willing, where there's uh, least friction, fewest permissions needed, um, and where you can fly under the radar. Because Mm. once you start getting Mm. the transformation, it's like yeast in the dough, like it will start spreading. So I don't get particular, I don't like honor org charts At all, uh, they're fossils. Uh, what I'm interested in is the organism. So who are the people who are catalysts of this already? And it's often not even part of their job description. Mm-hmm. But the people who are leading relationally in any organization, how do we start spotlighting them, honoring them, getting them together to start integrating their efforts and pulling mm-hmm. in the same directions. So um, when I talk to like leaders of leaders, I'm basically like, you need a relational map of your organization that's pointing out the people who are already doing this work and you need to start paying them way more money than you're paying them. Hmm. Because until the kind of labor that's actually creating belonging for people is recognized, identified, honored, and compensated, Mm. it's all gonna be a bunch of programmatic crap. Um, And then we're like, woo, we did the belonging workshop. Look at us go. And I'm like, you have this generally woman. You generally, you have this woman over there who's like working overtime to, mm. to like care about the people on her team or in her, you know, whatever. Is she getting paid for that? What happens if she stops? Right. And so I'm like, I've like this real passion to be like, there's already people on the inside of every organization who knows how to do this and is doing it or the organization would have collapsed. Yeah. Um, and so, starting to honor those people throughout the system, start to give them language for what they're doing because most of the time they're leading intuitively. They're just caretakers, or they're just nurturers, or they just you know uh, have very high EQ or whatever. However, you want to think about it. Um, but starting to give them language for what exactly they're doing, um, and how to do it even better, how to take care of themselves in the process, um, that's where it needs to start. And the people who um, know that needs to happen but aren't one of those people themselves they need to be releasing the funds to allow those people to do their work and to let it organically grow mm-hmm. it's like you can't right like if you're making I don't know why I keep I might must be hungry I keep having all these food metaphors'm <laughs> like so you, know, you know if you want to make sourdough bread what do you need you need a starter yeah. who are the starters and they I don't mean innovators I don't you know mean rock star millennials. Mm. I mean, who are the people who their presence makes people feel okay in their own skin? You have to start with those people.
1: Mm. I love that. I'm so glad we're having this conversation because you speak a language that I, uh, I really connect with, really resonate with. And how, because a lot of the, the listeners to this show, they are, you know, leaders, they are, you know, heart-centered leaders, I'm bringing good people like you to help expand their vocabulary, their experience of what's possible when it comes to heart-centered leadership. How can we encourage them to become Wi-Fi hotspots?
0: Oh my gosh. I think just the first thing is just to like, right. The first part of any kind of change is vision. Mm. Right. And I think being able to both articulate like a real kind of generic, but cool vision, that that's something that's possible Mm. for anyone to become. Um, And that probably they're already on that path. You know, most people are somewhere uh, on that continuum Um, and to encourage them to get more fine grain about what that could look like in their life. Mm. What would that mean for how they feel in their own own mind and own heart and own body what would they be doing in the spaces they're in and in the interactions they're in? What would that look like, feel like, and require? Um, you know, and so once you have some kind of vision, you uh, are then into do I have the intention to follow through with this? How do I stay on track? Do I need a couple people to help me stay on track with this within my org, across orgs? Um, and then you're into the means, uh, what are the practical tactical things that I'm going to do? Am I going to pause after people talk to me in the meeting? Am mm. I gonna, you know, set up a workshop for my team leads to be able to tell their backstories, right? So we have to be careful to not jump. People want to jump to tactics and programs really, really mm. quickly, but I think it won't go very far. If you aren't doing the heavy lifting of understanding that your own experience is what's going to like be the thing that radiates the field that other people can Mm. then hook into.
1: Mm. I'm conscious of your time. Um, Where do you see the future going with loneliness belonging as we come out of um, global pandemic, you know, what would be your vision?
0: You know, I hope we get to a point where instead of trying to get rid of loneliness, we start to try to befriend it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that's kind of abstract, but um, loneliness uh, is a natural reaction to decades, if not centuries, of a lot of social problems um, that we did not consent to and and have inherited. And so I think the more we can stop warring against it uh, and trying to make it go away and more try to understand why it's there and the unmet need that's causing it, and befriend it and befriend it in each other, that gives us a much better starting point to have conversations. Um, and so there's, there's catalysts and innovators and um, politicians, you know, uh, really coming together in a lot of different kinds of coalitions. I'm part of a global one. Um, the Who was getting involved, not the band, you know. Uh, <laughs> although that would, they're welcome too. They belong yeah, here too. 100%. Um You know, uh, so there are tons of efforts um, that are like tribing up and finding each other to move forward on all fronts. So, you know, loneliness and loneliness and sort of now belonging have been very zeitgeisty for the last couple of years. Um, COVID has essentially like ramped that up but you're always in danger of this sort of thing slipping off the radar Mm. um, because it's such a weird kind of, where is it? It's everywhere. It's nowhere. It's hard to hold on to. It's extraordinarily complex. Mm. Um, And so my hope is that we can start to um, create an ongoing set of conversation spaces Mm. where this can just be part of how we live our lives as opposed to like a disaster uh, intervention, Mm. Um, where why aren't we talking about our social experience? Like, period. Like, isn't that healthy? Like, yeah. I talked to you about my exercise routines. So um, I'm hoping that the conversation gets normalized and that yeah. it, it it turns from being um, avoiding a problem mm. to embracing a possibility.
1: Mm. Let's just say you're hypothetically writing a book. Like, what would that book be about? <gasps>
0: That book would hypothetically be called You Belong Here. Uh, and yeah, ask me how long I've been working on the proposal. Um, way too long. So, yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to do with You Belong Here is to try to give um, a really fun and compelling uh, um, universe for people to get in touch with what their own social experience has been. Mm. understand their life as sort of inhabiting a social jungle uh, and what do we need in order to be able to rewild our social landscape and Mm. find our way home to each other again and that's going to involve a little bit of philosophy it's you know with big ideas about what's going on um, but primarily dropping people into their lived spheres of influence Mm. and uh, actual context that they're in and empower them to start visioning for their future and taking the first initial steps.
1: I look forward to the day that that drops through my letterbox and I look, and I'd hope that you'd come back on and, and be willing to talk about your book on another episode in the future. And, um, and, and on a, and on a TEDx stage, you know, it'd be good to see the oh, message thanks, getting out. Ryan. Yeah. It's I super- would
0: love that. If there are any TEDx organizers listening, can you please find me? I'm, I'm always looking Mm -hmm. for ways i don't care that it's about me but every time i teach at usc for example i'm like it's not fair that only 15 people are getting to have this conversation together so i'm always just looking for ways like i think every single human has a right to explore this with other people who are supportive and find mutual aid and mutual wisdom so any ways we can do that i'm on board. well
1: i'm going to go a step further and say i suggest that brene brown has you on her podcast, I'm going to suggest that Brene interviews you, the director of belonging at USC, because um, you know, she talks about um a lot of this stuff too. And um, I definitely think that you are you have a heart for it that needs to be shared, my friend, for sure.
0: Oh, Ryan, you're so kind. There's almost no one on earth I would rather meet. Um, very highly respect her and um, the impact that she has and all about extending the sisterhood.
1: Mm. Absolutely. How can people connect with you? Where can they find out more about the good work that you do in the world?
0: Well, the easiest way is through my website. Um, I admittedly don't, uh, update it as often as I should. Um, my secretary is currently my cat. So, (laughs) (laughs) so it's just me. Um, but I would love to hear from you through my website. It has a contact form Um, And really uh, I'm very, very passionate about joining other leaders specifically who um, you've just gathered this incredible, like around this incredible, not just idea, but way of being. Um, I used to do this thing called the mother clucker collaborative, where I was trying to collect women who led relationally um, to just give them support and validate their methods and stuff this is such a cool group and i love joining leaders who are in the middle of a process right they're having to scale or they're like reorganizing or they're trying to do something new and to be their friend by their side to be Mm -hmm. thinking about how to build um with belonging as a foundation so if there are people who are interested in that kind of um collaboration they stay behind the wheel but um that's the lens that i can bring
1: i love that what does the phrase always better than yesterday inspire in you?
0: Oh, it's such a beautiful phrase, isn't it? It sounds like it's a poem. <laughs> um, you know, for me, what that conjures up most is a perspective or a worldview that insists on finding the good mm. and focusing on the good amidst you, know, you can focus either on the blackness of the sky or on the ways in which the blackness only makes the light shine brighter, um, which, sorry if that was incredibly cheesy. I like but, it. Um, no, that's what it makes me think of, is that if we choose to focus on the good, mm. um, that's what we increasingly become filled with and perceptive of around us.
1: Kat, I admire you and the great work that you do in the world. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, I'd be honored if you'd leave us with a final thought from your good self.
0: Oh, you're so kind. Well, I'm so grateful to be meeting you and to find out about the community that you're creating. Um, I think maybe, maybe my final thought is I'll quote the person who was the first encounter I had with a Wi-Fi hotspot of belonging in college who absolutely changed my life from the inside out just by standing in the threshold of metaphysics 360 uh, (laughs) with his keys jangling in his pocket. And he became my mentor. And after everything started in the coffee shop and I'm like, oh my gosh, what is happening? This feels like everything, but like, I'm not doing anything. I went back to his office and his name is Dallas Willard. He's now passed away. Um, And I was like, Dallas, like this is what's happening in my coffee shop. Uh, What is going on? Is this everything? Or is this like, am I making this up? And he looked at me and he said, this is everything to be with and for each other as we are, where we are is everything. And we organize our lives to death to avoid this because it requires that we slow down and risk being known. And I just wanna say it's worth the risk.
1: That was powerful. I love that. Thank you so much, my friend, take care.
0: Thank you, Ryan.
1: There we go, episode 145 with Kat Moore. Wow, what a final thought. I it, it, That got me right in the feels. Like, you know, Kat and I finished up the conversation and we both just took a moment just to go, that was powerful. That was powerful. I hope those words um, transcended your mind right into the middle of your heart. And um, as I like to do, reflect at the end of each episode, I just hope this image of becoming a Wi-Fi hotspot is, is something that made you smile, but also something that you are going to take away. You know, try to become that Wi-Fi hotspot of positivity, of connection, of belonging, of love for people. Um, it's uh, it's very, very powerful imagery. I absolutely loved that conversation. I'm sure you could tell um, by the, the way I was engaged and the questions I was asking. But this is always a two-way conversation. Make sure that whatever resonates with you, um, you let me know. I'd love for you to email me. I'd love for you to just tag us, share us in social. Um, Kat's details are in the show notes as well. Um, Please do what you can to spread um, the message that that Kat is sharing. Go and connect with her and come back next week where I'll be sharing another awesome, inspiring uh, guest on the Always Better Than Yesterday podcast. I appreciate you thank you for pushing play hope it's left you a little bit better in your heart and your mind in some way always love my friends